Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. And the Lord added their day, those who are being saved. Amen to that? What a party up here. I, I love it. Had a friend reach out to me who's watching online. He's actually in Florida, and he wrote, I am weeping watching your baptisms. It's just the coolest thing, isn't it? Let's just celebrate again all of those who are baptized. I love it. I uh, also, I think it's just a moment of celebration we have, we have so many cool heroes that God is just raising up within this congregation. And one of those is little Gavin Weir. And I believe his parents are here. Where are you, where are you at? Where's mom and dad at? Right here. Would you stand? I, I just want to tell you, that before, just notice who they are. Take a look over here a second. Um, Gavin's on his way to Pennsylvania, Right. And uh, he's getting ready to play in the college, little, or not college, the Little League World Series. They actually made it. We're so excited. And uh, you may go ahead and be seated. I want, I want you to look at the screen and watch this. He's pitching. In the Midwest Regional between the teams from Hastings, Nebraska, and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We need to catch your Owen Brown. Struck him out, and he strikes out the side. What? Nebraska. And he goes down on strikes. Six straight strikeouts for Weir. Scores Medigar. And it's 1-0 Sioux Falls. Raider was the winning pitcher Monday against Minnesota. He can pitch again tomorrow. And he looks at strike four. Man, he's on his game. Eight punch-outs through. Now Gavin Weir has been outstanding today. Another inning. Striking out the side, Gavin Weir, 14 Ks. Gavin Weir has been absolutely terrific. One-two pitch. Yeah. Got him strike three. Yeah. Two-two. Yeah. Got it. Just frozen. Yeah. South Dakota is in the title game on Saturday, and they have locked up. This is going to be such a cool thing when he returns, the team returns, because we're going to celebrate 18 kids at bat. He struck out 17 of them. I was like, I, I, I was like, I wanted to get his number and write, Really? You know, you, you couldn't do number 18 either, you know. <laughs> but I think he must have felt bad, you know. Let's just let him, I don't even know, kid, I'm, I'm guessing got a hit, got lucky. But uh, wow, what a, what a cool thing. And I'm just so excited, I'm so proud when you see young people and, and they're using their gift and they're having fun doing it. And what a thing for us as a church to celebrate. The Bible tells us to do that. We need to applaud those things. So I just love it. So proud of you all. And I'm assuming you guys are probably going to be heading that way uh, come later this week. So exciting, exciting days. Can't wait to hear back. A national magazine ran a contest to see who could come up with the best real life quote resembling the cartoon Dilbert. 
Anybody remember Dilbert? Come on, put your hand up. Remember Dilbert? Now, now if you haven't seen Dilbert or you're not familiar with Dilbert, he was a cartoon character that was always caught in those bizarre office situations. You know, where the rules and common sense weren't so common. How many work at a place? Like, do my, listen, my staff better not raise their hands. So I just realized when I said that, I'm opening up myself. But listen to the winning quote. It came from an employee at the Sun Microsystems who shared a memo that came down from the top. Here's the memo. As of tomorrow, employees will be able to access the building only by using individual security cards. Pictures will be taken next Wednesday. Employees will receive their cards in two weeks. <laughs> now, that's, think about that for a moment. Evidently, talk about two weeks of free vacation. Here, here's one which almost won. We know that communication is a problem, but the company is not going to discuss it with the employees. <laughs> and, and the one I liked was this. This project is so important We can't let things that are more important interfere with it. (laughs) Let let me just say this. This is not us, okay? This series about rethink is not about where rules are raised and common sense is not so common, okay? This church is about relationships, not rules. Amen Amen to that? And this is a place we want to use common sense. Is that fair? See, I believe that most of the word of God is not something you really have to think about. It's pretty clear. And it's not so much that we don't understand it. It's the fact that we struggle with the things we understand. Because that's our natural rebellious nature, is it not? And so this is going to be pretty clear as as we're getting close to wrapping up. Next week we'll do that. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But the key to common sense is the word of God. So if you have your Bibles, I would like you to encourage you to take them out. I want you to go to Matthew 5. To Matthew 5. Of course, if you have your app, go there and you can click on it. I am going to be reading from the New International Version, the NIV. So if you've got your, if you will, your app, you can click on that and go to NIV. But we're going to talk about Again, how to treat others. We're going to build on that. And Jesus is going to give us, Jesus himself is going to give us three keys in how we as God's people should treat others. And this is really practical stuff. But sadly, in its simplicity, we make it more difficult than it should be. Is that fair? Is that fair? All right, I want you to look at the screen, I want you to hold on to your Bible, whether it's your, your app, your phone, or uh, you know, whatever device you use, or your Bible itself, I want you to look at the screen, I want everybody to read nice and loud with me. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Therefore, I will hide your word in my heart that I would not sin against it. I want to pray, but as we go to prayer, many of you probably know uh, in the country of Haiti, they had another earthquake. And not that they need anything else. Talk about tragedy. Just continues to be waves coming their way. Uh, This was on one of their, if if you know Haiti, there's little fingers that stick out. 
This is uh, uh, one of those fingers, so it didn't affect, if you will, the most populous area, but there are uh, incredibly amounts of people affected. I talked to Dr. Joanne Lyon this morning um, because there's a lot of relief that's going to be needed. Uh, if, if I could say the word good news in this, uh, because if you know Haiti, there's a lot of corruptness that goes on there, and of course, many of you know that uh, as of late, there's been some things within the government uh, there's been some coup to overthrow. There's been all of that stuff going on. Uh, but right now, uh, all the rebels are keeping anything of relief coming down the roads to get out to where the relief needs to be. But the good news is, is that World Hope, who we work with, uh, has all of their relief efforts on the island of Loganoff. And Loganoff is the island right directly across, if you will, the waterways to where the relief needs to be. So they don't have to go down any roads. Uh, They're on their way right now. There's stuff that's being dropped. They can go direct there. World Hope has tremendous amount of, 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 if you will, people that invest in them. And so they don't have to worry about uh, um, uh, securing air flights. They have unbelievable amount of jets that are just given to them. And they can directly get there to log off. And then they can, by boat, start getting the relief in. We'll be a part in some way. Because we need to be a part. There's a lot of poverty there, but, but here's the deal. Um, it saddens me. They can't help earthquakes. They can't help those things. But we're going to do what we can. We've been a part before, and I'll keep you posted on that. But as we go to prayer and pray for this, this morning here, I want us to make sure that we're praying for the people there and for World Hope as they're working directly at the people. Let's pray. Father, you are an awesome God. And Lord, what a significant time as we think about how do we treat others, specifically how can we come along and lend aid. Lord, physically there's boots on the ground right now and we're grateful, but we believe in the power of prayer. And we ask right now that you would guide and direct the efforts. I pray, Lord, that you would protect people that are trapped that relief would get there soon and, and that God, that whatever that cost of us, that we don't see it as a sacrifice too high, but a sacrifice that's necessary as we help those who are so much less fortunate than us. I thank you for World Hope. I thank you for what they're doing. I pray that you would be with John today as he's leading and directing And Lord, I pray for us here that we would be mindful and that Lord, even in the midst of it, we would be grateful. It's amazing how great we have it and how sad it is when we forget that so often. I pray as we open up your word that Lord, again, you would speak not my word, but your word would go forth because your word word always accomplishes what it was meant to accomplish. And we'll say thanks in advance. And everyone says, amen. Amen. If you have your notes, take them out. We're going to read from the Sermon on the Mount, a very pointed passage that Jesus is speaking here. And he's going to give us three keys of how we're to treat people. And let me say this again. If you can write this anywhere, write this down. We're in the people business. Amen to that? That's what the church is. We're in the people business. It's about people. And Jesus is going to show us that. 
And so again, if you have your Bibles, your apps, whatever it is, I am reading from Matthew 5, the NIV version, and I'm beginning in the 33rd verse. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Let me say it again. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, this is Jesus, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black, All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Notice the person, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And here's a verse that's always a difficult one, but we're going to talk about it. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you have your notes, take them out. Three keys that Jesus says and gives us in how we as children of God are to treat others. And I'll say it again, we're in the people business. These are practical, simple things that we can do, but they're profound in their impact, whether we do them or not. Here's the first key. Keep your word. Say it with me. Keep your word. Keep your word. Look at some right now and say, keep your word. Folks, this is a big one. Because I'm not even talking to those who say they're not a follower of Jesus, but if there's one struggle right now that I think is happening throughout the church, it's this right here. The Bible says you're to keep your word. 
Now, some of you might remember one of the most famed quotes of any presidential election came at the 1988 Republican National Convention where candidate George H. Bush Sr. made a promise. Look at the screen, watch this. My opponent won't rule out raising taxes, but I will and the Congress will push me to raise taxes and I'll say no, and they'll push and I'll say no, and they'll push again and I'll say to them, read my lips. Historians say it was that promise that got him the election. Historians will also say it was that promise that he wasn't reelected because he didn't keep it. Now you can sit here right now and say that's because the Democratic Senate pushed and the president said no. And they pushed again. And the president said no. And they pushed again. And the president said, read my lips. Okay. (laughs) Now, I'm not here to make a political statement. I'm here to tell you this. Words are a big deal. And keeping them is even a bigger deal. And if there's one thing underlining right now in all politics, it's that right there. Regardless whether you're on the Democratic side or you're on the Republican side, the bottom line is this. You listen to the American people and they're tired of high promises and low performance. Words are a big deal, but before you cast judgment, you might want to ask yourself, am I one of those? We are to say what we mean and what? Mean what we say. And by the way, Jesus expects it of his people. He expects it. You know, it's been said, your worth is your word. And your word is your worth. And if you can't keep your word, you ain't worth much. I know that hurts, but in the passage, you need to understand. Back in those days, see, they they valued God. So they would swear by other things. They would swear by their mama's grave. They would swear by their daddy's grave. They'd swear in unbelievable ways. They would give their oath, but they would never, as a Jew, they would never swear by the name of God. Because see, they knew that life has its ability to change. Therefore, their word might have to change even though they made a big promise. And they would make a change. But then by making that change and not using God's name by which they swore, they in their hearts believed they weren't dishonoring God. Can I tell you what Jesus just said? Your word is always honoring me because your word is a matter of the heart. The mouth speaks what's in the heart and I judge the attitude of the heart, not your word. 
And what Jesus was saying, I don't care what you swore by. I'm here to tell you, if you can't keep your word, you dishonor me. You dishonor me when you can't keep your word. Whatever the reason, whatever the justification, you can say whatever you want. But words are a big deal. And so if you got your notes, write this in. I want to show you how we do this then. If we're going to keep our word, here's important instruction. Here's the first one. Don't speak rashly. Don't speak what? In other words, don't overcommit. Don't make promises too quickly. Think about what you're going to say. But see, we want to appease people and so many of our words come out of insecurity rather than confidence. And so we want to impress someone rather than impact them and we'll make a promise we can't keep. And the Bible says don't do that. Proverbs 13, look what it says. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. But those who speak what? Rashly will come to what? ruin. If you got your notes, I want you to put a little acrostic in there. The word think, T-H-I-N-K. Okay, just, just write it somewhere in your notes. The T means, is it true? Is it true? So this is a little acrostic to help you. We need to stop and think before we speak. Isn't that what we are always taught? Think before you speak. Don't put your heart, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but it's amazing to me how many people said, if I knew what I knew now, I'd have never gotten married to who I married. First of all, you think how sad that is. You might want to look in the mirror because they're probably thinking the same. But here's a thought. The only reason you're in this situation is because you didn't think. You let your hormones run. Is it true? Is this for better and for worse? Is this for richer and for poor? Is this going to be in sickness and in health? Will I forsake all others? We ought to really think about those, folks, because you're not making them before people. You're making those before God. And your word matters to God. Your word matters. Is it true? Here's the H. Is it helpful? When you speak, is it helpful? Is this going to help them? Now, sometimes helping someone is having to speak the honesty thing. But is it done in love, right? Here's the I. Is it in the best interest of them? Or is this the best interest to me? Like if I'm working on a business deal, am I telling the person what I want to hear? Because boy, if they invest, woo, this is a win for me. But if they invest, is it going to be a win for them? Am I going to follow this through? Here's the end. Is it nice? <laughs> is it nice? And then the K, is it kind? See, if it doesn't meet those criteria, don't make the promise. Slow it down. Here's the second thing that will help you keep your word. Weigh your words because words are heavy, are they not? You know, one of the top-selling books of all time is by Dale Carnegie. Anybody know the title? How to Win Friends and Influence People. The very first chapter has these words, never criticize, condemn, or complain. Do you know what he's saying? In other words, weigh your words carefully. 
Weigh your words. You know, sticks and stones may what? Break my bones, but names will kill me. Folks, I can heal from sticks and stones. But words are the most crippling thing that you can ever say to someone if you're not careful. Words have value, but they have power. Power. Unbelievable power. So let me offer something when it comes to weighing your words. Never use the exaggeration ones. You know what I'm talking about? You always. You never. Absolutely all the time. Don't say those. For example, I'll never forget to take out the trash. So you shouldn't say that. What you should say is, I will do my best not to forget. And if you can be really honest, men say, I'll get around to it eventually, okay? (laughs) And you'll be fine. (laughs) Look at Ecclesiastes 5 says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be what? Few. Let your words be few. Here's the third thing that'll help. Avoid unrealistic promises. Okay? Avoid those. Like, baby, I love you so much. I'm just going to grab the moon and give it to you. (laughs) Dear Lord. (laughs) A gigantic ring would be fine. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 5 says, It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. And yet we've become a people, listen, don't miss this. We've become a people who live by our intentions. You ever heard that? Um, They had good intentions. You know, the intention of their heart was right. Let Let me help you with this. God doesn't judge intentions. He judges the actions. God will never say, well, your intentions were good. But that's what we do, because we're comparing and looking in the wrong thing. This is an important thing, folks, is that, that we get this. God judges our actions, whether we keep them or not. James tells us this in, in, verse, in chapter 4. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why do you do that, he says? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is what? Evil. Can we just admit some things are out of our control? Some things are out of our control. That's why it's important to slow down and think about it. When someone says to me, you know, before I tell you, you need to promise you don't tell anybody. I always tell them this, don't tell me then. I say it every time. And they go, why would you say that? It says, I can't keep that promise. Because see, I love you and I don't know what you're going to tell me. And I don't want you to put me into a play that maybe I need to stop and say, listen, we need to get you some help. I I know someone that could help with this. You take that away. There's no point in you telling me. 
And by the way, the only reason you're asking me that is because you don't really trust me anyway. Because if you knew I loved you, I'm going to do everything I can which is in the best interest for you and the kingdom. I don't make a promise like that. And you shouldn't either. Don't bank your word on something you can't control. Here's the second key. Write it in. Turn your cheek. Okay? I'm not talking about your butt cheek, even though you all know I like big butts, okay? All right? Turn your cheek. Say it with me. Turn your cheek. Turn your cheek. That's what Jesus just said. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If you like to circle something or highlight it on your app, do that. But don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. How do we treat others? Well, first of all, keep your word. Keep your word. There's power in it. We just said that. But have you ever stopped to think about what Jesus just said? 90% of the world's population are right-handed. Did you know that? Okay. Now, my wife, who's left-handed, always loves that because she says 90% are in serious trouble because if you're in your left mind you're all, or left-handed, you're always in your right mind. <laughs> and that's why all left-handed people should be running the world, okay? All right. But, but by the way, it makes a lot of sense if you know she married me, all right? But here's the thought. If everybody's right-handed and someone goes to slap you, which cheek are they going to hit? But Jesus said, if they slap you on the right. Do you know what Jesus is talking about? He's not talking about someone reacting and slapping you. He's talking about someone who's calculated and backhanding you. That's very interesting. If they slap you on the right cheek. And he tells us that in the first words of the verse. Don't resist an evil person. Someone who's out to get you. Someone who has their own personal intentions in your life. And Jesus says when they backhand you, give them the other one as well. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Back then, taking a backhand was a deep, deep insult. It was painful. It hurt. Ever heard the phrase of all the backhanded things you could do? This is the deep stuff. This is the painful stuff. This is the stuff when someone posts something on their social media about you. I mean, I, I was just told that celebrates a cult... And I'm a phony. That was just out there. Now, my wife had written it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and we were having fun. No, but, but here's the thing is, I've been told that. I got emails where I've been called some of the most unbelievable things. But I'll guarantee you that in all the years that I've had social media, you've never seen me post anything in response. 
I've been backhanded an unbelievable amount of times. But why would I want to react? Because I am imperfect. I've definitely made mistakes. But Jesus, the one who saved me, is perfect. And he's been backhanded as well. And on his cross, he didn't get cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we're supposed to respond. This is what Jesus is teaching. You need to be better. You need to be bigger. If you look at 1 Peter 2, look what Peter writes. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, Jesus was insulted. Everything you face, Jesus has had to face. When they hurled their insults, notice the word hurled. It wasn't under their breath. They were backhanding him. He didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Why? His word matters. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Is that you? And so Jesus gives us an example of this, and he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What's he talking about? So let me show you, when someone backhands you, when someone derails you, when someone belittles you, when someone reaches out and they have a personal vendetta or an attack on you, he says, why would you defend yourself? I didn't make my people to be a defense, I made them to be an offense. So when they slap you on the right cheek and they do this to you, offer them the other. And if you don't understand that, they understood this, but I think we don't. When they ask you to go one mile, you go two. You see, the Romans hated the Jews. They saw them as pawns. They saw them as useless. They treated them like dirt. And so they would backhand them all the time. But one of the things that they would do back then was, by law, a Roman soldier could see a Jew, no matter where they're going, and demand and command them to carry their pack for one mile. If you said no, it could cost you your life. And they could do it all day long. They couldn't ask you to go two. They could only do it one, and then that soldier would have to stop, but another soldier could walk up and say, here's my pack, and you would have to carry it one mile. And Jesus says, okay. So when they do that, don't go one and be glad that you did it and it's over. Continue to walk. And when they say, what are you doing? Saying, listen, I'd be honored to carry it for you. You see, how do we treat people? The same way Jesus did. When he was backhanded by one of his own disciples, he turns to Judas and he says, you go do what you need to do. But Jesus didn't let that sink deep. Jesus didn't let that derail him from his mission. Jesus didn't take it personal. The Bible said this. When Judas left the room, Jesus got up. He took off his outer garment. He got on his knees and he washed the other 11 feet. And he says, now you do as I do. Is that you? That's turning the other cheek. That's what we're supposed to do. There's a movie out a few years back called 42. It's the story of Jackie Robinson, 
the first black man to play professional baseball. I just want to pause there. It just breaks my heart when I stop and think that anyone would judge anyone by the color of their skin. I'm just telling you. It's never a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And I'm going to continue to say that. I just don't understand that. I don't understand that. Jackie was a follower of Jesus and faced tremendous prejudices and opposition. He constantly had to turn the other cheek. You see... Jackie had met a Methodist preacher named Carl Downs. Pastor Downs knew that Jackie was a Christian, but he continued to teach him. Rather than exploding in anger, he said, I want to teach you something different. He explained that a life truly dedicated to Jesus was not submissive, On the contrary, it was heroic. Pastor Downs eventually led Jackie to a deeper faith in Jesus. And he began to see that the path to injustice and the path to justice would not be done with fists and fury, but with love and personal restraint. Thus, Jackie believed that God had chosen him for this noble purpose. And he knew that if he committed himself to doing this great thing, God would give him the strength he needed to see it through. So day after day, Jackie's faith fueled him and gave him the ability to play the great game of baseball. Night after night, he would get down on his knees asking God for strength to face the unrelenting hatred. In 1997, Major League Baseball retired his number from every team in the league. And it can never be worn again out of the deepest respect for how the man played the game. John Maxwell says it this way, if you want to help others and be a person of influence, keep smiling, keep sharing, keep giving, and keep turning the other cheek. Here's the third key. Love your enemies. Say that with me. Love your enemies. Did you know the word enemy here is actually a broad term? It's actually a broad term. It's not identifying a certain group of people. It's identifying anyone who has mistreated you. Anyone who has mistreated you. We're to love them. But notice it doesn't say anyone who disagrees with you. And I believe it's precisely our problem in our world today. For the moment someone disagrees, we make them our enemy rather than our friend. Isn't that interesting? In fact, it's been said in the world of politics, there are a few that are actually Republican, there are a few that are actually Democrat. They're Republican because they can't stand what the Democrats stand up for, and they're Democrat because they can't stand what the Republicans stand up for. And if you listen to them, watch what they talk about. And I feel like the church has done the same thing. We spend more time telling the world what we're against rather than who we're for. And almost every presidential election is about the opponent rather than what they're standing for. And there's something wrong with that. And again, I'm not saying that I'm trying to advocate some political stance. I'm saying it's in the church. 
We're supposed to be united by the love of Christ. Folks, we can have theological differences, but we are one because of Jesus. We're one because of Jesus. We do this all the time in membership. I want everybody to say the town in which they are born in the count of three. One, two, three. Did you catch that? Okay. But if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, I want you to say the name of the one who saved you. One, two, three. That was understandable. One name brought us together. And it should be that one name that keeps us together. It should be that one name that we fight to keep ourselves together. It should be that one name that we put all disagreements aside and get on about what we really agree with, the name of Jesus, which every name will bow. See, it's about Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to share with the world around us, not those who disagree. We're gonna have, and we need people to disagree. If you know my world, I don't have yes people around me. I've been accused of that, I think it's hilarious. And I usually talk to my leadership about that and say, you know, they think you're yes people. And their response is never taken that kindly because that's a disrespect to them. They didn't get where they're at because they agree. They got where they're at because they're men, women, who care about the cause of Christ. And I will tell you, I, it, we never in meetings and I get my way. There's a lot of things we don't do. I thought it was a good idea and still think it was a good idea. And so glad we didn't go with my idea, okay? But the Bible says in 1 John, and we read it last week, let us love one another for love comes from who? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The word love here is the word agape. It's the unconditional love that only Jesus can give us. And that's the love we're supposed to express towards others. You can't fabricate it yourself. It's impossible. That's why in marriage, we don't need a license to think that people are married. You're not married because of a license. For marriage comes from God and true marriage has to be of God. He's got to be in the equation. Or you're just two people who have a license that won't carry you into eternity. I don't want to love Kay with a worldly love. I want to marry Kay because of an eternal one. Something much bigger. And that's what marriage was supposed to be. And that's what love and friendship is supposed to be. It's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. That's why I'm still here after 22 years. I love you. Through the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. I'm in. We got work to do. I want you to count on me. I want to count on you. I want to love that way, but I can't do it in myself. That's why when Reed preached on the Holy Spirit, why we need the Holy Spirit? Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us what only God can give us and teach us and lead us. See, you have to experience it before you can ever express it. And church isn't the experience. It's when you die to self and confess yourself as a child of the king and say, God, it's not my life, it's yours. And that's what this is all about. The old's gone and the new has come. I'm no longer of myself. I don't just belong to him, I belong to you as well. And when a world sees that, it's a beautiful thing. That's what it means to love your enemy. So let me help you with this. How do we express it? Here's the first thing, write it in. How about this when it comes to your enemies, those who mistreat you? Bless them. 
speak well of them. Did you know what the word bless is the root of eulogy? You know what a eulogy is, right? When we talk about all the good when someone dies at their funeral, you don't slander, you don't gossip, you don't get your friends to join in your pain, you help your friends speak and pray into their pain. Remember the old adage, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, here's a better version. If you can't say anything nice, think of something nice and say it. That's what we're supposed to do. You know why? The key to blessing is, you ready for this? The key to blessing is understanding this. If you're willing to look to God first rather than what they've done, everyone can find something nice to say about another. The moment you hurl the insults, you need to understand this. The first and foremost, it's not going out here. It's going up here. Because God's going to ask you this. Why are you speaking ill of one of my creations? Because I don't make anything bad. And you know what you're doing? You're making your pain bigger than his cross that took your pain. That's what should matter more. So you bless them. Charles Schwab was picked to become the first president of the United States Steel Company in 1921. His salary, 1921, was $1 million per year, 1921. When there was no income tax and $50 a week was a good wage, but the reason they wanted to pay him that was not his knowledge of steel or manufacturing. Do you know why they wanted to pay him that? Because how he made people feel. Did you know that? Here's what he said. I consider my ability to arouse enthusiasm among my people the greatest asset I possess. And the way to develop the best that is in a person is by appreciation and encouragement. There is nothing else that so kills the ambitions of a person as criticism from their superiors. I never criticize anyone. Here's a thought. The Bible tells us that God himself doesn't propose a judgment on a person until the end of their life. Should we be any different? So when it comes to blessing someone, think about what the end could be, not the moment that you're in. Here's number two. So not just bless them, do good to them. That's what the Bible says. Do good to them. Romans 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So kill them with kindness. As we talked last week, you build them a bridge, you send them a note, you find an email, you grab a card. Any way you can, you let them know how much you appreciate them. Do good for them. By the way, it's been said, treat a person as he appears to be and you'll make him worse. But treat a man as if he already were what he potentially could be and you'll make him what he should be. Here's number three. I want to invite the team up. Pray for them. This one's going to be hard. See, it's one thing to bless. 
It's another to do good, but really, you want me to pray for him? Do you know why this is so hard? Because the moment you pray, you've automatically included God in the equation. And here's what I'm, I'm telling you. I'm not talking about may the fleas of a thousand camels invade your underwear, okay? <laughs> right? I'm not talking about that kind of prayer, right? See, the key to praying for somebody is to see from their point of view. And this is always difficult because there's always a part of the story we never know. I could tell you story after story that has brought me to my knees early on where I made a judgment of someone until I got to know the story and it ripped my heart right out and I thought, wow, who am I? So instead of putting them in their place, you put yourself in their place. But we don't want to do that, do we? Somewhere we want to find that verse that says, but you don't know what they did to me and we want God to somehow smite them. Here's what I fear. I fear the hypocrisy that something tragic happened to them and there's actually a joy in your heart that they're no longer on planet earth. Oh, you won't say it from your mouth because that would seem so wrong, but what you need to know, you've already expressed it in your heart and God's going to hold you accountable for that. Here's the other part you might have a problem with. According to my Bible, that person actually might be in heaven and you may not get there. God don't owe you and I nothing. There's nothing fair about God. He doesn't compare anything in this planet with anyone sitting next to you right now or before you or beside you. Nothing. Regardless of how bad the sin, when they repent and truly ask for forgiveness, he writes their name in the book of life. And yet, when you and I hold on to things, my Bible says, but I'm going to treat you the way you treat others. If you can't forgive, then I will not forgive you. That's in the Bible. I didn't say that. Jesus did. It's so unfair, isn't it? But why does God have to be fair based upon what we think is fair? Who are we? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to rethink salvation. What does it really mean? What does it mean? Having your name on a membership roll you think is going to get in heaven? There's not one verse that says that. Not one. Not even hinted. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Becoming a member of a church doesn't make you a Christian. Reading your Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Doing nice things doesn't make you a Christian. My Bible even says this, you can actually have the gift of healing and heal people and still go to hell. You will know who my disciples are and how they love one another. And no greater love than this, they would lay down their life, their opinion, their ideas, their wants, their woes, their wills for the sake of another. Just the way my son, who left his throne of glory, and came to planet earth who knew no sin and yet became our sin so you and I could experience the righteousness of God. It's an amazing story. So here's what I want to do. 
I want to wrap up with a story, but I'm going to ask right now is I want you to think of one person you have a little difficult loving. You thought of them, trust me, just the very fact that I said it out there, you're like, crap, you know it? <laughs> I had a person speak into my life, and many of you know I prayer walk. I was out this morning, six o'clock, and on my prayer walk right now, they suggested I do something for my own heart. Don't think that your pastor has this smooth road always before him. There are people that have hurt me deeply. And so a life coach that I've actually hired to put in my life to help me in some things, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you every morning, I want you to write their name, put it in your phone and your notes. And every morning in your prayer walk, I want you to pray over them. Trust me. There are many prayers. Oh God, forget the thousand fleas. How about a million? <laughs> you know, invade their underwear. <laughs> I, I mean... But what I'm finding is I'm asking God, God, I just really want you to bless them today. Now, here's the hard part, because I know, I know he will, because that's who he is. But in the process of that, there's this washing that goes on in my own spirit. Where today I find myself this morning going, God, I really want you to bless them. Not just because I know you will, I really want that for them. I know some of you want access to my phone to see if your name's in there, don't you? <laughs> but if you're living a blessed life, you probably name was there, okay? So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads right now and you fill in the gap, but Father, you know the people in my life that are on my list. People that I believe that you've brought to the forefront that you said, Keith, you need healing on this. You need to just wash it. You need to let me love them. Let me take care of them. And God, I pray everyone in this room right now, it's the most difficult thing that we can do, but we, God, I pray right now that they would say their name quietly and say, God, I really want you to bless them. I, I want you to heal them. I want you to breathe hope into them. God, who am I that you would die for me? And God, that same God who died for me, died for them because you love them. And so, Lord, I want to lay them at your feet, off my shoulders, off my chest, off my heart. And I give them to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. One day on the way to visit some friends, John Denley was stopped and searched by the authorities. They found within his grasp a confession of his faith. You see, Denley believed the church was built upon the apostles and the prophets. Christ is the head of the church. And he believed that the present state of the church, the Church of England, was not being a part of that during a time when the church was persecuting their own. For this confession, he was turned over to the local authorities who turned him over to the bishop for questioning. But he would not back down from his statement of faith. 
And so the church, catch this, condemned him to die. And they turned him over to the acting sheriff. Within six weeks, he was sent to the stake to be burned. When they lit the wood beneath him, Denley showed no fear. He began to sing cheerfully, strongly, as the flames began to rise around him. One of his tormentors picked up a piece of wood and threw it at him, hit him into the face. He hoped to anger or silence Denley, but he responded, Truly, he says, you have spoiled a good song. (laughs) Then he spread his arms again and he continued to sing until he died. I know it's a little extreme. We stop and think that day probably won't happen in this country. But it illustrates for me a wonderful example. You see, the word perfect that Jesus closed with It's not about getting it always right. It's about doing the right thing even when you don't. It's the qualities that Peter and Paul described in 2 Peter and Galatians 5. The word perfect Jesus used means to be mature. It means be whole. It means to be complete. I can only pray for us as a church as we step into a world that's really chaotic right now. A world that's a little discombobulated. And I'm just being kind. A world where there's a lot of lives going at each other. That we would choose what we surrendered at our baptism. The old is gone. And there's this new maturity that I'm growing in. There's this likeness like Christ. God, I want to treat people the way you treated them. And people are going to think I'm crazy. People are actually going to tell me to do things that would only seem right in the moment. But I can't. I've got to do it according to your word. I want my word to matter. When they backhand me, I'm not going to respond or react. I'm just going to be bigger. I'm just going to be better. And I'm going to love. I'm going to love. And I'm going to love those who mistreat me no matter what. I want them to see Jesus because when they meet Jesus, it changes everything. But they will never meet Jesus if I don't live that way. So today you might be at a restaurant and your service might be really bad. What would Jesus do? Today when you leave church, You might get to a stoplight and the person in front didn't see it went green. What would Jesus do? Today your kids might be going, Dad, Dad, Dad. And your natural tendency is you're tired. And it's okay to say, listen, listen. Maybe Dad needs to get a nap real quick. Then take one. But don't sit in front of the television because now your word means nothing. You and your spouse may not see eye to eye. Your employees may not live out what you'd hoped 
or your employer may not lead the way he or she should, what would Jesus do? Because I really believe when we walk and talk like Jesus, the Spirit does something, and it's in that that people will come to meet Jesus. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. It's so powerful. It's so true. It's so real. It's so life-changing. It's so impactful. It does exactly what it says it will do. And God, we have that privilege this week, today alone, to just walk in your goodness. Let your spirit lead us. And that, God, we would be obedient no matter what. Growing in the likeness of you that the world may know. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.